The Retirement Remix, Episode 4, with Jim Logan living his retirement remix based out of Somerville, South Carolina. You are listening to the Retirement Remix Podcast with award-winning financial advisor, host, author, and founder of a thriving financial planning company, Chip Munn. Here you'll get a regular dose of real-life retirement stories and inspiration from incredible, unique people just like you. Each episode features interviews with entrepreneurs, local business owners, CEOs, world travelers, and community leaders. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. Welcome back to the Retirement Remix. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine for the last 15 years. The man that I refer to as the most interesting man in America. He has done many things on several continents, and I'm really looking forward to spending some time today talking with my good friend, Jim Logan. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chip. Glad to be here with you. Jim, for for our listeners, one of the things that, you know, I, I've joked with you for years, uh, calling you the Dosecki's guy, you know, that most interesting man in America, and I'm looking forward to delving into that a, a little bit. But before uh, before we do and, and get into some of the details, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, and how you got here today. Okay. Uh, you know, the as a young child, uh, we, my family, my parents lived, uh, close to the ocean, uh, as a little kid in, uh, Massachusetts. And for whatever combination of reasons, I was always passionate about the water and had a real love from a very early age, uh, of boats. And, uh, the, this manifested itself uh, over the years, in my teen years, I had a, an aluminum runabout, and then I bought a, uh, a, a wood, uh, kind of a coastal cru- cruiser. Uh, after college, I started my professional career, if you will, in a totally unrelated business. One of the very desirable jobs near where I was living was with Miller Brewing Company. And I ended, ended up spending about six years with them. And I uh, got some really good experience in managing people in a, in a high pressure 24-7 operation. Kind of uh, grew to not like that so much. Uh, ended up leaving them and going into uh, an unrelated field uh, that helped put me through college. And that was doing cabinetry and residential remodeling. And my wife and I had been living uh, at that point for a number of years in cold snow country of uh, central New York near Syracuse. And we really wanted to get away from the cold. She had an opportunity with a company she had joined uh, to make a move to North Carolina. And so I was faced with uh, after running my own company for eight years, what did I want to do next? And I kind of had done the start your own company and, and run it for a while. And I figured, well, you know, I'm, I want to get back into manufacturing. What do I have an interest in? And that was boats. So I started to kind of shape, uh, craft a cover letter and reach out to boat building companies in uh, the Carolinas and targeted a few that just seemed, uh, from my research, to have the best reputation. And I ended up 
uh, getting a position with uh, one of the world's largest companies, uh, Beneteau, uh, which is a French company, but they've had a manufacturing plant in South Carolina since the uh, late 80s. And uh, I got a position with them. And the rest of my career uh, was in the field of boat building. So I specifically targeted being really interested in something that, that I had a passion for. Uh, that said, after, uh, after 10 or so years in, uh, in two different management positions with them, I got a kind of bored, I guess, and started to look for other opportunities. And opportunities did come along. Uh, I had done well enough that, uh, that I had built up a bit of a reputation. And so there was a job that came up in Wisconsin. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, mm, we don't want to go back to snow country. And there was a really good uh, offer down in the Miami area that would have given a job to both my wife and myself. Uh, she worked in manufacturing as well as a uh, production control manager. But Miami just didn't feel right for us. And so when uh, a headhunter called, uh, the same one who, who got me the, the offer in Miami uh, a couple of years after that, he, he said, hey, Jim, what do you think about Australia? I've got this client who's looking for somebody with your capabilities. You know, would you consider that? And uh, the long and the short of it, we, we've, uh, the company flew my wife and I over to Australia uh, very wisely, knowing that if my wife wasn't going to be happy making a move halfway around the world, then I would never do it. So we interviewed and toured the area a bit. And when it came down to deciding whether that was the right move for us or not, you know, we kind of, we thought about the positions that we had not jumped on and ended up saying, you know, when we're 75 or 80 and sitting in our rockers talking about what we've done with our life, we don't want to be the people that sit there and said, yeah, we didn't go to Wisconsin. We didn't go to Miami. And then there was that opportunity on, in Australia and we didn't do that either. And we just felt like, you know, getting to live in a new country, uh, to expand our horizons, to get a feel for a culture that's very much like America, but definitely different, that that would be an opportunity of a lifetime. And, uh, that's what took us uh, in that direction. And um, after five years there, for, for some family reasons, we returned to America and I uh, managed several other boat building operations. And uh, it's been a good run. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget the phone call uh, when you <laughs> told me that you guys were going to move to Australia. And if I'm not mistaken, and I know I've said it several times since then, uh, I think my response was, uh, you're my hero. Uh, what a so one of the things that that you said that struck me was I decided to find something I had a passion for and and figure out a way to do that. And so I'm I'm curious. Uh, you know, you you took you know I wrote here in my notes boats plus builder equals boat builder, and and that's a really interesting jump for a lot of people. And I think that a big part of the conversation that I'm hoping to start and continue is the notion that um, 
there are all kinds of ways to to do life and eventually uh, retirement. But it seems to me like you were able to take uh, two skills or a skill and a passion and combine them together and use that to make your decision making going forward. How how did you come to that? How did you come to that realization? Uh, you know, I think that, I mean, it, it, it's tough, but it isn't. If you're not pleased with what you're doing in your work life, it doesn't matter how much you work, how much money you're making at it. Um, the, that first position after college with Miller Brewing Company, uh, for a number of reasons, the pay rate for any given position within that facility was well above the national average. Um, and it had to do with the, the seasonal nature of the business. If you wanted to uh, build up a workforce for the summer months and then lay off half the staff progressively to account for lower sales in the winter and then build up the next summer. The only way to get people to come back was to pay them a lot of money. And what I learned in that position was money is a lousy motivator <laughs> that, you know, working long hours and having a bunch of dollars going into your bank account. Yeah. It gave you the freedom to do things, but it didn't, it just didn't mesh with being passionate to go to work. So that was an early lesson. And, uh, you know, in my early twenties being in that experience and working with guys who were in their late fifties and had hated their work for years and would say things like, well, you know, I can't stand this place, but I only have to work for another five or six years. And then my kids are off to school and, and then I can do something that makes me happy. And I would, I'd sit there and think about that and say, okay, you're in your fifties now and you're miserable, you're going to start looking for happiness at age 60. You know, it, that was part of what led me to leave that company that it was like, Hey, I, I, I'm doing a good job. It's rewarding financially. It is not rewarding me mentally. And that's why I decided that, you know, I needed to be doing something that I really uh, had some passion for and enjoyed the actual work. And that took me into the remodeling uh, and cabinetry building, and then ultimately into boat building. It's remarkable. I mean, first, uh, for a young guy straight out of college to get a job at, at Miller Beer has got to be, you know, I, I mean, for a, a while there, you likely thought that was your dream job, or, or uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I yes. would. But yeah. the, the conversation, I think, that you had with those other folks, it reminds me very much of the one that I had when, you know, after my one year of teaching, I decided that I wasn't going to do that. And some of the teachers that I work with would say, God, I would, I wish I could do what you're doing. And now I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew what I wasn't going to do anymore. But they would say, you know, I, I really wish that I could do what you're doing, but I, I've just been in, I'm in too deep now. I've only got 10 years left. And to me, it sounded like a prison sentence. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff on, um, on TV that you see folks say about being incarcerated. I mean, it, it just, and I think there are a lot of people who feel that way. And so I think that the conversation you have with those folks is the kind of conversation that goes on 
all over the place. Uh, I think it's more prevalent than, than we realize. Yeah. So one of the things, yeah, you know, I, I joke about how interesting you are. You, um, you're the only person that I know who, uh, can, who, uh, cross country, uh, in an RV in the United States can fly a plane and has had an opportunity to sail around the continent of Australia. Um, all fascinating things. Uh, but one of the ones, Jim, that I really wanted to, that I found most, most interesting, I think was during your time in Australia, you know, you mentioned those, um, those older guys that you were working with getting to a point where, they were putting in all this time and sooner or later they were going to be happy. And I seem to remember some conversations um, where, you know, maybe, and maybe I'm taking too much Liberty, but to some extent after having moved to that beautiful continent, um, did you, did you become one of the older guys who are now working yourself to death? Well, yeah, I had uh, the uh, the position I, I went to Australia for uh, got uh, because it was in boat building. It got dramatically affected by the global downturn in two thousand nine, and that position actually only ended up uh, lasting uh, about seventeen months, as the company went through massive downsizing and. Uh, all of the department heads ended up getting cut. Uh, and so I was among them. And, uh, but thankfully, there was a related business that needed a general manager uh, with my skill set. And I landed a job within three weeks of uh, leaving the boat building company. Uh, and that company, it turned out, also had some, some challenges. And uh, I spent uh, you know, a good year helping them turn around, but working 60 and 70 hour weeks and taking very little time off. And, uh, you know, in, at the end of that period, I was getting a bit worn out. We were loving living in Australia. We had, uh, before leaving the United States and, and Beneteau, uh, my wife and I had what we thought was a plan for perhaps an early retirement. And we uh, opted to uh, take advantage of an employee uh, discount plan, if you will, and and we ordered a brand new boat uh, at a at a good price. Uh, I got to oversee the construction of that boat, and we launched it uh, in uh, in May of 2007 in Charleston, South Carolina, and sailed that uh, for a couple months and. Uh, in midsummer, I got the call of uh, this company being interested in me, and that progressed for several months, including the trip over there. And so, when we accepted the offer, we actually sailed the boat down to Florida, put it on a ship, and a month later, it was sitting uh, in Brisbane, Australia. So, we took our our brand new forty six foot Beneteau sailboat with us to Australia, and that really helped balance to some extent the hard working hours because almost every weekend uh, we were out on the water and loving that aspect of the life there, even when, when work was tough. Um, but that also led towards uh, 
a decision to approach the uh, the two guys that uh, owned this company and said and saying to them, "Hey, um, you know, I, I'm here in Australia. My wife and I have this beautiful boat, and we're enjoying what time we do have on it, but we want more. And uh, you know, I'd like to uh, have you work with me, and I'd like to take a sabbatical and uh, sail at least part of the Great Barrier Reef region." And, uh, if you can support that, you know, I'll be back in six months. And if not, then, you know, we'll, we'll go our separate ways and, uh, I'll help you, uh, you know, find my replacement and help train them. And as it turned out, they, uh, they decided to let me have the six month sabbatical. <laughs> so I've got to ask, uh, had to be, uh, either a scary conversation or, or maybe even like you said, you were just resolute to the fact that one way or another, you were going to take this opportunity. Yes. The, what, what we, what my wife and I were feeling was that, okay, we've, you know, uh, we've packed up our, we've gotten rid of a bunch of things. We've packed up everything else, shipped it halfway around the world. We're here living in Australia. We have this beautiful boat. And kind of like the conversation of we didn't want to be the couple in our 70s or 80s saying, yeah, we never went there. We also didn't want to be the couple that, you know, were within striking distance of one of the most beautiful areas in the world, uh, the, the hundreds and hundreds of islands that are between the coast and the outer reef and uh, never got to see it. And we just didn't want to do that. And we knew that there would probably come a day when we needed to leave Australia. We said, you know, it, it would be crazy to have this boat and be here and not take advantage of that. And, you know, is it going to cost us, you know, some money to not be working and to live aboard a boat? Absolutely. But uh, it just seemed like a life experience that was going to be well worthwhile. Well, and I'd, I'd have to think that it was unusual for your bosses to to have someone come in and say, you know, I'm going to need six months. I think there were a lot, of, I, it, believe it or not, I, I hear stories, not, not quite this uh, amazing, you know, from a, a standpoint of what you were able to spend the time doing, but I hear a lot of stories about people who have, you know, gone into uh, their boss or their partners, if, if they're a, in a professional practice, and saying I, uh, really a lot like what you said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you'll work with me. And more and more, one of the things that I see every day is the flexibility on the part of business owners, because frankly, talent and wisdom is is hard to find. And so the you know the idea of being able to I kind of call it retiring part-time, you know, take more time while you're younger to be able to do some things um, while still also in your case, coming back to work or uh, working less, but for longer. Now, one of the things that we had talked about at one time was when you bought the 46 foot boat, one of the, notions uh, that I seem to recall was maybe you and Pat would kind of captain for other people. So part of the, I guess, retirement thought or or even, you know, again, kind of part-time retirement 
thought was maybe you'd captain for other people and, and sail for them, make a little money and live on the boat. Is, is that right? Yeah, that, that certainly was uh, a, a strong possibility for a long time. I had worked uh, through the process of earning my Coast Guard master's license, uh, and uh, I still maintain that uh, to this day. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm legally qualified to take uh, boats uh, offshore with paying passengers, and the yeah, we, we did kind of explore at least, you know, mentally different possibilities of how to do that. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it certainly, it, it was a part of our past, you know, where we are in our life today. Yeah. I, it's still a, a possibility hanging out there. I mean, there's lots of people in exotic locales, uh, skippering boats who take people out for day charters and uh, earn some pretty good extra money at it. it. It's not the worst way I to uh, to earn money. That's for sure. No, no, no <laughs> doubt. And so, but haven't had an opportunity to to do it for six months. And, and with the idea that uh, that maybe it was it would be something you wanted to do when you you kind of left the nine to five, or or maybe in your case more of a nine to nine world uh, in the world you were in at the time. What are some of the things, you know, when you, when you looked at it, you know, I, one of the things I remember uh, you saying to me was that it was a, you know, an opportunity to see what retirement would be like, what it would cost, what you would do. What are some of the things that you learned kind of during your, during your time of testing it out? You know, it, it was a, uh, it was a freeing and, and, and kind of mind opening experience from the standpoint that, you know, one of the philosophies that we developed was that, you know, things aren't always going to go the way you would like them to go. You know, there's, uh, in, in the real world, you don't get, you know, uh, 10, uh, number 10 quality days every day of your life. And certainly living aboard a boat and sailing uh, where you're out in the weather and, and you're dealing with, uh, with mother nature, you're not going to get all tens. In fact, there's going to be a range from one to 10 and you're going to have a bunch of days that are, you know, pretty nice in the middle. And one out of 10 is going to be miserable for one reason or another. And then you're going to hit those 10 days. And uh, I, for my wife, Pat, one of the things was, you know, if we had a long sail in between islands or, you know, uh, heading towards a port and we were on the water for 10 or 12 hours and, you know, it was a bit rocky and uh, because the, the water was rough or the, the winds were gusting, uh, that would be a miserable day. But on some of those days, she also got to see humpback whales. And that was a favorite of ours, you know, to be able to see nature up close. I mean, as close as at the end of, of one day like that, uh, we coming into where we were going to anchor, there was a mother humpback and her, her calf, her baby that we found out later that day had only been born less than a week earlier. and we had the boat, you know, just stopped floating there. And here is this, you know, 60 foot humpback whale, not 
20 feet away from us with her little baby, you know, and it's like just incredible to be that close to nature. And uh, those are the winds that make the day when it's rough out on the water or when there's a thunderstorm at night that just doesn't seem to want to end. Uh, you know, that's, that's the balance point. And it, uh, it's great payback for when things aren't qu- quite so nice. So uh, moral of the story, right, is enjoy the tens. <laughs> enjoy the tens because this helps you, and, and especially, I guess, on a boat, literally weather the rough days. Um, amazing uh, to be able to, to get to, to see some of those things. When you, so in addition to being able to see amazing sights, uh, you know, and, and that's the third time I've used amazing. So uh, I'm going to pick a different uh, adjective next time but when in addition to that you guys are also able to kind of test out what the um how the day goes and and how the money goes mm-hmm. and and what it was like to do what you thought you might want to do um eventually maybe for a longer period of time anything in particular that that you found uh either as a a great lesson in that uh, or something that you feel like could have been maybe a big mistake? Well, the, what we learned was that, you know, living in a, a, you know, a a more confined space than, you know, pretty much anybody's house uh, is, you know, it teaches you a lot of lessons and the fact that, you know, if, uh, we we had a, a limited quantity of water on board. We didn't have a water maker, which uh, you know it, a lot of people would put on a boat. We didn't have one, which takes salt water and turns it into fresh water. So we had to learn to manage water. You know, we had 140 gallons when we would leave port, and uh, we would make that last up to four weeks long, uh, which just means you have to you need to control your usage. And didn't mean that we didn't shower every day. We most certainly did. But you don't leave the faucets running for sure. And the same thing with money. You know, we, we found that in that particular type of lifestyle where the vast majority of days, you know, we were on an anchor in some beautiful anchorage. That doesn't turn up, that doesn't, uh, you know, turn through your money. Our experience from that, you know, I, I, uh, keep pretty good financial records and keep tabs of, uh, of how our spending goes. And that's helped us over the years to be able to make smart decisions to say, okay, if we want to do this in the future, you know, how, how much money do we spend on entertainment? How much money do we spend on different things? And so in, uh, in the boating world, you know, we found that, yeah, we could actually on an annual basis live pretty nicely, not with a lot of extravagances, but pretty nicely with $25,000, $30,000 a year. I mean, it, uh, it was a great lesson that if you are holding back on a lot of the things that are such a, a common part of our normal living, uh, when you're land-based, it, it doesn't have to be very expensive. Um, so that, that was a, a, a real lesson. And 
you know, it, it taught us a lot about ourselves. You know, we, uh, we had a good life while we were on the water and we still have a, uh, a hope, a plan that we'll do it again um, in our early retirement years. And I think that that's uh, a good segue into, so you, you guys, uh, you spent your time on the water, you went back, as you mentioned earlier, eventually came back stateside and, uh, and worked for a while longer. And uh, so share with the audience, if you don't mind, uh, how you guys spend part of your time now. You're not on the boat. What, what are you doing these days? Well, we, uh, we kind of made the decision uh, when we came back to the United States was because of uh, aging parents uh, on my wife's side and uh, a need to be close to them in their, uh, in their final years. And we, we flew back uh, and uh, landed in California and drove cross country. We had two little dogs that we took with us over to Australia. We brought them back and we decided to just not stress them with one more series of flights to get to the East coast. So we, uh, we drove cross country and that was a bit of a eye opening experience for us because so many of our week long vacations during our working career, you know, we're taking a week and going down to the Caribbean and soaking up the sun and uh, or chartering a boat and, and sailing in the Caribbean. But driving cross country, we got a bit of an appreciation. Wow, there's a, so much of this country that we've never seen during our working careers. And so when I finally decided to uh, pull the plug on working and stashing money away for retirement and start to try to enjoy it, we came up with the notion that, yeah, we wanted to see a lot of the country and our ideas had kind of uh, headed towards, well, let's get an RV. And uh, so we did a couple years ago, we bought our first RV. And uh, since then we've spent more than six months of these past two years on the road, seeing uh, national parks and state parks and cool downtown areas and just seeing more of this country than we ever have uh, seen in the past. And that said, it's also a, uh, it, it, uh, it's a temporary uh, situation for us. We know, uh, even though we're on our second RV and, and we really like it and we're totally enjoying it, we don't have a plan to keep that RV for five or 10 or 15 years. We're going to work through this phase of our life. Uh, one of the other lessons that we kind of learned uh, during the past 20 years is that it's best, uh, at least for us, to not have more than one really major toy at a time. Uh, we found that when we had an airplane sitting in a hangar and a boat sitting at a marina in Charleston, that uh, two big toys uh, compete for the same time and dollars. And for us, it's, it just works out better to have one major toy at a time. So before we go cruising again, we'll sell the RV. But while we have it, we want to explore uh, a lot of America and get up into Canada and see uh, at least some of that country that we've never got to see. And uh, we're absolutely loving that. And interestingly, most of our very best friends during our lives, uh, we met uh, boating 
and it we've just kind of figured out that when you when you really love an activity you come across people that are like-minded and so we've met uh, some very dear friends in the boating world but likewise when we're traveling and spending a week here and two weeks there we meet people who are like-minded in you know in a slightly different way but they're adventurous they are willing to uh, give up some conveniences of home to live aboard uh, some kind of an rv and uh, we've met some really great people there and uh, so it's uh yeah you, you surround yourself with uh people that are you know have similar passions and that makes your life happy. Uh, it's not the same thing as, you know, living in the same neighborhood for 40 years and getting to be really close friends with your next door neighbors. Uh, we miss that at times. Certainly, you know, some of the friends that we made uh, while we lived in Florence, uh, we still keep in touch with. Uh, but the more times that you move, it's, it's hard to make those connections. Um, but you can meet some really cool people and learn their stories and uh, benefit from it. Well, I, it's, it sounds like something and I, I've had the benefit of, of seeing the pictures of, of some, you know, I think you do it just to make me jealous. Uh, <laughs> uh, your view from wherever you are on, on any given day, but most of your trips and, and I want to kind of, you know, we're coming up on time. So I want to be, be mindful of that. But one of the things that, you know, not everybody is going to have the opportunity to, to sail Australia, but when you made the move back and after having kind of done kind of that trial retirement there and, and now then, you know, one of the things that, uh, I would typically, you know, talk to, um, friends and clients about is the idea of, you know, uh, testing retirement out because you can only play so much golf or, or um, you know, your grandkids are only going to have so many uh, school events. You know, there are only so many um, things to be able to do like that. You're going to have to have so, some other, you know, uh, activities and, and passions. And so one of the things I've, I've suggested uh, at times is that folks consider, again, kind of that idea of uh, part-time retirement, taking more time off during the the work year asking, uh, you know, the boss or their partners to, you know, I hope that you would work with me and taking, yeah, maybe it's a two or three week at a time and, and, and try retirement on for size. And I think that your trips now in the RV are a, a kind of an example of, of that because they aren't always really long. You may make shorter, you know, two or three weeks or a month trips. So, for if you were if you were going to give one piece of advice to somebody who is you know considering either a sabbatical or a mini retirement you know a couple weeks to a month um, and they were trying to to figure out maybe they don't want to do RV but but what from from these experiences what would you tell somebody who is is considering doing that. You know, I think that the, uh, our thought process over the years has been that, you know, sadly, there are no guarantees of how many years you're going to have on this earth. And 
you do, you know, in the course of your life, run into people and uh, at, at times become, you know, friends, uh, close friends with people who, uh, you know, succumb to a disease and never get to see their retirement. And that's, that's been part of our life decision process. And the today, it is more possible for someone to stay connected uh, at a level, you know, that they have to, if need be, and be able to be away from their home base, from their workplace. And uh, I would encourage it because there are no guarantees and the old model of waiting until you're 65 or 70 and working 40 hours a week and then planning on having a great, uh, you know, experience doing whatever uh, fits your, your passion the best. I think that's tough to, uh, number one, no one can promise you that you're going to have your health in your later years. And there are, there are certainly opportunities. I think it's valuable for somebody to figure out a plan. Okay, what do you really like to do? What would it take to do it? And, you know, as you say, if you try retirement, if you take a sabbatical, if you take, a, if you take more time than the traditional workplace uh, would allow of, you know, two or four weeks vacations, what does that look like? Because at the end of the day, you know, you're, when I look at all of the years of my work life, you know, what has meant the most to me? Uh, yeah, there are individual work experiences that are crystal clear. It's the people that I worked with, but there's a whole lot, there's thousands of work days that just kind of, you know, go into a gray middle ground of, you know, yeah, I know I spent X number of years doing this and working through each day and, you know, uh, helping a team accomplish goals and all that, but you can't pull those details out. And the days that you're with your loved ones uh, or your experiences are really new and unique, those are the days that are crystal clear in my memory. And I think that that's a, uh, a great source of happiness for people. So, you know, work hard when you're, when you're at work and aim for the, the goal of doing something that's 100% what you want to do for as much time as you can get away with doing it. Well, I can't think of a better way to end than that, Jim. Um, I, listen, it has been awesome. May uh, try to get you back sometime to to talk about some more of your adventures. But uh, you know, for me, I, I certainly uh, haven't known you for years. I, I learned new things today, and and it's a fantastic story. And I appreciate you just being such a good example of of what's possible. So, thank you for joining us. I'm really, uh, it was really good to have you on the show. And so if any of that sounds appealing to you, you know, here's my call to action for you today. Give some thought, like Jim said, to what your passions are. Uh, if you were going to spend some time doing just 100% uh, what you wanted to do, what would it be? How would you spend your time? You know, one of the things that I found really interesting about what Jim said was, if you find your passions, you'll find passionate, like-minded people. And so some of those things can really go a long way to uh, adding to our happiness, adding to our lives. And if you're 
still working uh, like I am and you uh, really kind of have the, the notion or you're wondering, I encourage you to give some thought, have that conversation, just kind of open your mind and, and be willing to at least think about thinking outside the box and, and having a conversation of how could you take two weeks instead of one? Maybe it's uh, needing to uh, refine uh, business processes, or maybe it's just having a conversation with your boss. But I encourage you just to give that some thought. If you need encouragement uh, as to what's possible, uh, listen to this episode again. Check us out again next week where we'll have more stories. Uh, we're going to be focused on bringing uh, examples uh, of this kind of uh, notion that you can retire part-time you can do things differently and you can design the kind of life that you want. Uh, we'll be back at you again next week. We've created a quick guide to help you get started. Go to theretirementremix.com to download the six steps to finding your remix or go to signaturewealth.com to learn more about how our financial planners can help you. Subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts or listen at theretirementremix.com.